in the 15th year of Tiberius Caesar's reign, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod, tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, tetrarch of the lands of Etruria and Traconitis, Licentius, tetrarch of Abilene, during the pontificate of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He went through the whole Jordan district, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, as it is written in the book of the sayings of the prophet Isaiah. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare a way for the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley will be filled in, every mountain and hill be laid low. Winding ways will be straightened, and rough roads made smooth. And all mankind shall see the salvation of God. Verbum Domini Our religion, the Christian religion, is rooted in human history. It is not like so many other non-Christian religions that have myths, that have stories about a distant past. Although, even in those stories, there are elements of truth. For universally, every religion recognizes that there was a perfect, a golden age, and something went wrong. But Christianity is rooted in human history, so that we do not depend only on the scriptures for historical fact, but we can compare it with secular history and see indeed that the two mesh. And so, in today's reading from the third chapter, of St. Luke's Gospel. We hear of specific times and unique individuals being named. So Caesar, Tiberius Caesar has been on the throne for 15 years. He, this is a historical fact. There was Julius Caesar, then Augustus Caesar, and then Tiberius. Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea. He would be there for 10 years, and he was appointed in the third year um, of um, Caesar's reign. Herod, who was the son of Herod the Great, who attempted to um, put Christ to death as an infant, was the Tetrarch of Galilee. That is, he had been given a fourth part of the, of the um, kingdom of Israel. His brother, Philip, another son of Herod, was a tetrarch of two other areas, and Lysanias was the tetrarch of the fourth. So the civil rulers are named. The Roman emperor, 
and then the, the kings, the tetrarchs of Palestine. And then now the religious leaders are named during the pontificate of Annas and Caiaphas. And these two are named, in fact, all of them are named for the simple reason that all of them would be in some way influential in bringing about the death of the Savior. The word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. So, all of this happened in the reign of Tiberius Caesar. Pontius Pilate would be one of the judges. Herod, the tetrarch, would be another one of the judges. And then Annas and Caiaphas would both be judges of Christ. So then, God has set the stage and all the actors are present. And so the drama begins. The word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah. And this John went through the whole Jordan district proclaiming a baptism for the repentance, of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Not that he was proclaiming the forgiveness of sins, but rather speaking of a baptism that would do so. And how? As it was written in the book of the prophet Isaiah. So now <clears throat> the Savior is about to come. And God has determined that there would be no doubt who the Savior is and what he has come to do. So he's located in a specific place at a specific time. But more than this, God has also prepared the background as well. So there are the prophecies relating to the Savior, nearly 300 of them. All of them pointing to the Savior. These prophecies would speak of his mother, they would speak of where he was conceived, where he would be born, they would speak of his exile in Egypt, the attempts on his life, they would speak of his profession, he was a carpenter, they would speak of his preaching, the miracles he would work, they would speak of him being rejected, of him being condemned to death by scourging, by put to death by Gentiles, that he would be crowned, his hands and feet would be pierced, his bones would be numbered, that where he would be buried, that he would rise again, and so on. All the prophecies are there relating to this one person who is to come, the Savior of the world. And so this is the background. And now John comes, the Baptist comes, and he's saying God's work is now being put into effect. He is that voice that cries in the wilderness. The evangelists are already there. They are going to record all that the Savior did, and they are going to be witnesses for the future, for us. Because they could say, we saw him, we touched him, we heard him. And they'll be ready to die for what they had seen, what they had heard, what they had touched. 
they were ready to die for it. So they would be witnesses or martyrs. And so we're told, the prophet Isaiah said, a voice cries in the wilderness. What is the voice? The voice is that which carries the word. The voice makes a sound. But what is the word? What is the sound? The sound is invisible. That is, the sound is knowledge. Knowledge that has to be expressed so that this knowledge might do something, namely instruct. This is what St. Paul tells us. My prayer is that your love for each other may increase more and more and never stop, listen, and never stop improving your knowledge and deepening your perception so that you can always recognize what is best. This is what the Apostle is praying for. My prayer is that your love for each other may increase more and more. And this love may never stop improving your knowledge and deepening your perception, deepening your understanding so that you can recognize what is best. What does he mean? Knowledge is at heart God. It is given to us through his commandments. In fact, in the Catechism, we are told that, we ask the question that, why did God make you? Why did God create you? Why did God bring you into existence? And the answer is to know him. That's first, knowledge, to know him. How are you going to know him? To know him and to love him because we cannot love what we don't know to serve him in this world and then to hope for the reward to be happy forever with him in the world to come so this knowledge is important that's why St. Paul says I pray that you will that you love will never stop improving your knowledge now, knowledge is an idea in our minds. If we want to share it, why would we want to share it? So that we can know what's best, so that we become pure and blameless, and that we can prepare, be prepared for the day of the Lord. This is what the following verse says. If we have this knowledge, and we want to share it. How do we do so? We express that knowledge as a word. But how does the word travel? It travels on the voice. Traveling on the voice, it enters into the hair ears, 
into the understanding, into the heart, into the mind of the one who receives it. And then, having received it, it doesn't stay there. We have to understand it. And this is why he says, deepening your understanding so that you can always recognize what is best. Now, let's take some examples. In Eden, God said to our first parents, the tree, all the trees in the garden, you meet their fruit. But the tree in the middle of the garden, you shall not touch it, you shall not eat its fruit. On the day you eat of it, you will die the death. God spoke. They had the knowledge. Did they have the understanding? Did they know what was best? One would have thought that God's word would be sufficient. Do not touch. Do not eat. But the serpent came along. What did he say? Did God really say you shouldn't eat any of the fruits? Exaggeration. He said, no. Big mistake. Enter into dialogue. No. God said we shouldn't, we can eat any of the fruits except the one in the middle of the garden because we might die, lest we die. So already there was no perception of what was best. It is best to obey God. And the woman made an excuse, we might die. God didn't say you might. He said the day you eat of it, you will die. And so she had death entered into the world because she didn't understand. Another example, God spoke to Moses. He led the people out of Egypt. It wasn't even um, three months when Moses went into Mount Sinai to get the word of God. It took him 40 days, during which he fasted and prayed while God delivered to him the Ten Commandments. What were the people doing? They had seen the miracles God had worked. They had experienced it. They came to the sea and the Egyptians were chasing them and they saw what God did, how he caused the waters to separate and how they walked in the midst of the sea on dry land. They were there. Yet when Moses left them to get the word of God, what did they say? Oh, we don't know what's happened to that Moses fellow. He's taking his time. Let us make gods for ourselves. What happened to the knowledge that they had of the works of God in Egypt and at the sea? And so they made a golden calf. They had already abandoned God because although they had the word, there was no perception, no understanding of the word. In the fullness of time, the word became flesh. And now we have God in the flesh speaking 
to us, speaking to the people, his own people. And although the word was made flesh and spoke to them in human words, they were still without perception. And so they put him to death. We who have come so many centuries afterwards, are we also without perception, without understanding, as our knowledge ceased? Let us look and see what's happening in our world. God has given us the Ten Commandments as the bedrock. That's the minimum that we have to do in order to inherit eternal life. The minimum is keeping the Ten Commandments. How do we know that? When the rich young man came, good master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Our Lord answered, keep the commandments. He said, which one? Thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, honor thy father and thy mother. He said, but I've kept all of these from my earliest years. What did he ask? What must I do to inherit eternal life? What was the answer? Keep the commandments. Nothing more. This young man wanted to be perfect. But just to be saved, there's a difference. Just to be saved, keep the commandments. Are we keeping God's commandments today? Well, we know as far we speak in as a nation. We know that thou shalt not kill is not being observed. Thou shalt not steal is not being observed. Thou shalt not bear false witness is not being observed. Thou shalt not commit adultery. What does adultery mean? In essence, adultery covers all of those sins outside of marriage. And within marriage, it includes the sins of contraception and, of course, betrayal of one's spouse, adultery itself. So, if we look at the sins outside of marriage, what can we say about the pageant, the gay pageant being held on the first Friday of December? We speak as a nation. We're now approving of the public acceptance of the sin that cries to heaven for vengeance, of which there are four. Four sins that cry to heaven for vengeance. Willful murder, the sin of Sodom, defrauding labor, laborers of their wages, theft in other words, and the oppression of widows and orphans, the defenseless. So when we publicly, as a country, as a nation, 
allow these sins to happen, what do we expect to happen? Do we expect God to be impressed with us? Yet we're told that Christ came to offer us God's mercy. A voice cries in the wilderness. Why is it crying in the wilderness? Because Why do we shout? Why do we cry out? Because the people to whom we're speaking are far away. Far away from God. Or they are deaf. Or they are stubborn. And we want to get their attention. That's why the voice is crying. And what is it saying? Prepare a way for the Lord. How can the way be prepared for the Lord? Unless it be by repentance. That is to make one's path straight. And stop moving from left to right. Blowing, moving as the wind blows. No. He tells us. Walk the straight path. And doing so, all mankind shall see the salvation of God. We can only see God's salvation if we hearken to the voice. That is, hear the word, gain the knowledge, and deepen it with understanding. Our Lord complained to his disciples, Are you also without understanding? Have you no perception? Is he saying that to us as well? No, let us ask him, as St. Paul says, let us ask him in prayer that our love for him may, may increase and that it be expressed in the love that we have for each other so that our knowledge, so that our knowledge will always be improved and our perception, our understanding be deepened so that we can not only recognize what is best, but also receive the strength to do it. May Christ give us such a knowledge and such love. In the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.